Welcome to the Women of the Expanse podcast, episode 11, Force Projection. When I googled Force Projection, the first hit I got was a Star Wars reference. Then Wikipedia told me that projection, power projection is a term used in international relations to refer to the capacity of a state to deploy and sustain forces outside its territory. I'm guessing this term is closer to what the writers of The Expanse are trying to depict in this episode. We've got more action, more space battles, and force projection, continuing on from Azure Dragon. I'm not good at following or describing the action set pieces in this or any show, so apologies in advance for my recap. Plus, we saw the return of some beloved characters from earlier seasons of The Expanse. We also got a little more development in Kara's story, which seems to be running parallel to the events of the rest of the show at this point. I think the storylines might converge and probably leave us wanting more by the series finale. With that, let's find out what the women of the Expanse did in Season 6, Episode 3, Force Projection. Kara Kara is in class looking up any info she can find on the Sunbirds. Her teacher explains that the settlers have come from different planets, but they're all Laconians now. The teacher encourages kids from the survey group to tell others who came to Laconia with the Martian fleet about anything that appears to be different or changed due to recent human contact. Kara's teacher sees that she is distracted and turns off her hand terminal just before dismissing the class. After school, Zan asks his sister to play soccer with him and his friends. Kara declines but says she'll be home for dinner. Zan asks if she can go if he can go with her, and Kara says no. Kara goes back to the forest, sees the broken drone has been fixed. The strange dog is back, along with the formerly dead sunbird and her babies. Kara is elated and runs back home to tell her family the good news. But her family is crying. Zan is lying on the sofa with a bullet wound in his head. Kara sits beside her mother and cries. Christian Alpha Sarala. The combined Earth and Martian fleet heads toward Ceres Station and demands the unconditional surrender of the Free Navy forces. But the Free Navy has left Ceres. One of the Martian admirals says this feels like a trap. Soldiers find gear stripped out of machines on the upper level, and all the people of Ceres Station huddled on the lower level. Christian interviews Nico Sandrani, who tells them that Marco has abandoned the station. They stayed behind to minimize any damage the UN, the UN and their illegitimate occupation would do. There are no warships, munitions, surplus fuel, or rations on the station. In fact, there's only enough air and food to last three weeks. Nico advises the fleet to leave. 
Admiral Carino offers to interview Sandrani further to see if they are holding back any intel. Avasarala agrees, but demands that no coercive methods be used and to have a UN representative be present. Then Avasarala orders Sandrani to be, re- be released from custody. Christian also uses they them pronouns to refer to Nico, which made me happy. Avasarala and Gareth discuss the situation. Gareth says that feeding a million people on three weeks' notice is impossible. They barely have enough as it is. But Avasarala knows that's why Marco abandoned Ciri Station. He knew that the combined UN, MCR, and fleet needed to resupply and refuel here in preparation for battles in Saturn and Jupiter. But now they are trapped. Now they are on the hook. And if they don't care of the, take care of the people on Ceres, they will be responsible for a huge humanitarian crisis. That would only make Marco look better and rally more belters to his cause. Admiral Siddiqui briefs Avasarala on security measures being taken on Ceres Station. Christian sees Monica Stewart and her crew on their way to film the next piece. As they leave, Christian tells Siddiqui to have some Marines follow Monica as she has a knack for causing trouble. More like a knack for finding trouble, but that's probably the same difference to Christian. Clarissa Mao. The Rasananti is headed to Ceres Station, possibly on a relief mission. Holden hands over pilot's duties to a very reluctant Clarissa. He just wants to get some sleep, and she keeps giving reasons why she shouldn't fly the ship. She heads to the pilot's chair and stumbles. She says it's taking longer for the mods to flush out of her system. Holden hopes out loud that she won't have to use those mods again anytime soon. Clarissa goes into confession mode, telling Holden why she she got the mods in the first place. First it was to kill Holden, then she decided to humiliate him and make her father look better. Then she remembers the man she killed in season 3 named Ren, and thinks that memory is the real reason she throws up every time she uses the mods. She's sick with guilt over killing an innocent man who did nothing but try to help her. Clarissa tells Holden that Radar found three unidentified ships heading toward the Rossi. She and Amos repair the PDCs during the firefight with Marco. Bobby Draper Bobby and Amos talk about Marco abandoning Ceres Station. Amos tells her about Ceres, the food, the booze, and the Union brothels. Amos is trying to repair Bobby's power armor when he gets a type beam message from Praxidike Meng, a.k.a. Prax, who is in seasons two and three of the show. He sent them an encrypted message about the researcher who was killed. She had worked on ways to increase crop production in the belt. The researcher was developing a new kind of yeast that mimicked the protomolecule 
and produced a digestible protein comparable to soy. The yeast could create a lot of food from carbon dioxide and waste energy. Prax wants Amos to get the data to people in power. This could help a lot of people in the belt and in the inner planets. This discovery could change the outcome of the whole war. Marco really should have paid attention to those spreadsheets. Bobby takes control of the manual PDCs and takes out the Pella's radar and navigation systems. Bobby wants to end them, but Holden gives Marco a chance to surrender. They all know he won't surrender. Bobby fires, but Holden manually disarms the missile before it can reach the Pella. Naomi Nagata. Naomi is in her shared quarters when Holden comes in looking to take a nap. Now she's ready to talk about what happened to her on the last mission. She admits that she froze up. Her mind went back to the Pella before she took a spacewalk without a spacesuit. And then on the Chetsamoka when she took another jump without an air supply. She says she would have collected herself in a few more seconds, but Clarissa had taken her place by then. It's a bit of bravado that Holden sees right through, just like the rest of us. Then Naomi agrees to sift through the data from the other MCRIN ships that went through the rings and disappeared from surveillance. She's grateful for the distraction of an interesting problem. Naomi wakes James to tell him what she's found. She's found a pattern in the data. The ships and the rings are different, but the ships are disappearing in clusters around the same time span. She compares it to a hole in the floor that closes around anything that falls through it, but then the hole reappears someplace else and starts closing around anything that falls through there. She wishes she could tell him more, but she's not a protomolecule expert. James says he knows an expert and will try to contact them. I think we might get an L.V. Okoye sighting in the next few episodes. After the firefight with the Pella, Naomi sees Philip on the view screen when James asks Marco to surrender. She knows that Marco will never give in, especially not to Holden. She urges Bobby to take the shot. She probably doesn't know that Holden disarmed the warhead and she will probably cuss him out once he tells her. Because we all know he's going to tell her, right? Rosenfeld Guilang. The Pella, Lauber, and Granica ships are all flying together in the belt. Philip watches the news feed about the Free Navy leaving Ceres Station. A researcher on Ganymede was killed during a routine security check. The researcher was thought to have been a spy for Earth and Mars. Yohan's death is being reported with the death of protesters against the Free Navy on other stations in the belt. Rosenfeld gives a report to Marco. The three ships are on radio silence. She also sent Marco an assessment of the UN MCRN fleet with two new UNN ships and two Doniger-class Martian ships. Marco is not phased by these developments. Rosenfeld is trying to impress upon him the gravity of the situation. 
but Marco is overly confident that he will be ready. Rosenfield changes the subject to a new route for collecting supplies from Medina Station. The new routes will put them close to battleships from the inner planets. Some of them will have to engage with the enemy, but Marco says it's not the enemy's kind of fight. Philip interrupts the report to talk with his father about what he heard on the news feeds. He asks Marco if it was his plan to abandon Ceres. Marco says he couldn't hold Ceres against the enemy, so he told the people what they wanted to hear. Philip is concerned about the people of Ceres being left without resources, but Marco talks about them like pawns in a game of chess that he's playing with the inner planets. Marco tries to differentiate the people of Ceres from belters like us as a way of absolving himself from any responsibility towards them. But from the look on Philip's face when they hug, he is not convinced. Marco sees the Rocinante come up on radar and wants to fire on them. Rosenfeld advises against it, since they can't confirm if the Rossi is alone without using active scans. And if they use active scans, they will give away their position. Plus, they will delay their mission to Medina if they engage with the Rocinante. Marco does not listen. He gives weapons control to Philip. Philip fires on the Rossi, but they're too far away to hit the target. The Rossi flips and burns away and hits the Lauber. The Granicus wants to disengage for aid. Marco keeps going. Marco fires again. He doesn't make a direct hit, but does manage to disable the PDCs on the Rossi. Marco refuses to surrender and finally retreats after surviving the direct missile attack. Rosenfeld reports on the damage to the Pella and the state of the other two ships. He blames the defeat on Philip. They get into an argument on the bridge when Philip rightly states that the Pella did not need to be here or engage in this fight with the Rossi. This was about Marco's pride and it bit him in the butt. Marco relieves Philip of duty. Marco gets a message that a new protomolecule-enhanced ship has gone through the Laconia ring gate. Testing will start ASAP, and they will keep Marco up to date with the results. Marco grins like the villain he is as we roll to credits. Kamina Drummer the Tynan and the Inazami are flying together in the belt, gathering intel on other ships who may be willing to join the heist mission of, of Marco's supply depots. Michio watches a feed from Pastor Anna Volovodov, who was in season three. It's the first of Monica's humanizing pieces following the asteroid attacks on Earth and Mars. Michio and Joseph argue about the plight of the belt versus the inner planets. Walker tells Kamina that there may be as many as 10 supply depots in this area. Kamina wonders why Marco would hide supplies when he controls most of the big stations in the belt. Walker thinks he was waiting for Earth and Mars to come after him. The Saberhagen and the Galt agree to join forces with Kamina. They used to be with Golden Bow, but now they will fight with Drummer. 
Drummer says she's ready for a fight. Monica Stewart. Monica films some UNN soldiers as they hand out supplies to the people on Ceres Station. One of, the, one of the soldiers spouts some anti-Belter rhetoric and Monica says she will edit that out. She walks around the station and finds a man squatting in the station with a cat. This is just before a set of explosions go off on Ceres, possibly a parting gift from Marco and the Free Navy. He is truly heartless. And that's it for this episode of the Women of the Expanse podcast. To tell me what you think about the show, you can tweet at BlackGirlSquee or email BlackGirlSquee at gmail.com and put Women of the Expanse in the subject line. Voice memos are cool too. Until next time, bye. Thanks for listening.